And good evening. I'm Rick Dancer. Welcome to Get Real with Rick Dancer. Coming to you from Montana, and we are going to go to Oregon tonight and uh, talk to Kevin Mannix, a longtime gentleman in the political realm of Oregon, connected in all sorts of different ways. Um, we're going to talk about Measure 110, and for those of you in Oregon, you all know what that is. <laughs> for those of you in other parts of the country watching, this is the measure that Oregonians passed that basically decriminalized the use of most hard drugs. And it has turned out to be one hell of a ridiculous program that hasn't worked. And yet there's still this move to not do anything. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. First, we want to mention our sponsors. Chris Dental Family Dentistry in Eugene, Oregon, where your civil liberties and freedom of speech and lack of censorship still matter. If you're looking for a dentist who agrees with you and believes what you believe, I have a feeling he's the guy you're going to want to go to. That's Dr. Michael Bratlin. Also, Greg Hinkle, another former Oregonian who now is a Montanan. He works at Fairway Independent Mortgage Company. There are certain rules you have to abide by when you leave Oregon to go to places like Idaho, Washington State, and Montana. Greg knows how to get you through that process if you're planning on leaving. Uh, Greg is also a big freedom of speech kind of guy. Um, our other sponsor tonight, Montana Oral Surgeons and Implant Center. Uh, we're going to hear a little bit from them a little bit later about insurance and how that works and how they handle the insurance process. First, let me just go ahead and bring on Representative uh, Kevin Mannix. Hey, Kevin, how you doing? I'm doing well. So tell me, I got this press release and I was instantly uh, thrilled because um, I'm going to do this. I'm going to move me over here there because that makes me look the right direction like I'm looking at you. Um, and measure what, what, why don't you go through and explain what measure 10, 110 actually did and then what you folks are trying to do as Republicans. Measure 110 was a, a citizen initiative that was put on the ballot. And uh, when I say it was put on the ballot, you have to gather signatures in Oregon. You got to convince enough people to sign the petitions. And then it was put on the ballot for the November election back now in 2020. And in that election, a uh, majority of voters voted for Measure 110. But when we talk about what it did and what it, what it, how it was sold, there's a difference. Measure 110 was sold on the simple proposition that, hey, we are collecting tax dollars for the sale of marijuana, cannabis. Let's apply those tax dollars to drug rehabilitation programs. That was the marketing. The devil was in the details. It was sort of like, oh, and by the way, we are going to legalize street drugs. We are going to eliminate criminal penalties for the possession and use of street drugs. And as part of this process, though, we certainly want to make sure that people are held accountable. And so they will receive a citation for a $100 fine. And then if they call a toll-free number, that citation will be forgiven because on the toll-free number, they'll be told how they can access drug rehabilitation services. Now, if I sound a little cynical about this, I am. <laughs> well, anybody that works in 
in the drug rehabilitation field knows that people have to want to get better to get better. So if you get caught and then you're given a citation, you're not going to make the phone call and, and you're not going to pay the fine. And how are they going to get all those people? Uh, how are they going to enforce this thing? Of course, that's, a, that's another problem in our government is we do a lot of things without having any money or anything to get the programs going. But go ahead. You, I, I digress. Well, I talked to a lot of folks and I said, after it passed, do you realize that we just decriminalized street drugs, cocaine, heroin, you name it. There's no criminal penalties for possession and use of these. And people were, no, no, no. I just voted to say that we should use our marijuana tax dollars right. for drug rehabilitation and treatment. And the answer is no, you did much more, but the, there's something else. The Oregon legislature in what I call the COVID session in 2021, they had a COVID driven session where most everything was Zoom passed enabling legislation to put this into effect. That would have been the opportunity of the legislature to clean up Measure 110 and say, whoops, now we need to have accountability. We need to clean up this criminal penalties issue. Instead, they enabled Measure 110. And no, I wasn't there. I just returned to the legislature January of this year, 2023, after being outside the legislature for 22 years. I'm, I'm a returnee. But wow, that's got to be a story in itself, Kevin, that somebody that actually or maybe you need to be checked, you know, up here for you. Um, you actually went back. I have remained active in politics, but um, you have. Uh, uh, with the redistricting, I ended up with a district where there was no incumbent and it has a little bit of a Democrat plurality. But uh, my Democrat representative actually called me after they did the plan and he's a moderate Democrat. He said, Kevin, there's no incumbent in your district under this. You ought to run. And I checked with the one person I need to check with, which is my wife. Wife. <laughs> and she said, well, you know, sometimes somebody has to do something. Kevin, you're somebody and you need to do something here. So I got back into uh, for you. Uh, the electoral politics and now I'm a state representative representing Kaiser and North Salem. In that role, though, I've taken a look at what transpired. And in that Zoom driven COVID session, there was a 37-page bill implementing Measure 110, and the devil was in the details, and they enabled what Measure 110 opened the door to. In other words, treatment included enabling drug use. Hey, you want free needles? You want a safe place to shoot up and, uh, and you won't get hurt? And to me, that was not the message the voters had when they were talking about rehabilitation. They did nothing to clean up the citation process where there were no criminal penalties. So that was the implementation bill. And now we're beginning to see all the results all over the state. Twelve of Oregon's 36 counties have had their county commissioners vote to say, please repeal Measure 110. I read that. Other, and, and Lane County came in, which is a big, I'd say, fairly liberal county because Eugene is there, has come in and said, well, dramatically modify it. We need accountability. And I have to say, uh, my friends in the legislative leadership, who are, you know, the Democrats run the House and the Senate and the governorship in Oregon, they have created a joint committee on addiction and community safety. And they did appoint me to that committee. And we've been having hearings and we're hearing from folks. And I find it interesting as I watch the dynamics of this process, because there are, I'll say it, apologists for decriminalization 
who will just say, oh, no, you must not have any criminal penalties. But they paint this awful picture of some, and it's not, they don't do it this clearly, but I'm going to state it clearly, that the police will go out there and they're just going to arrest everybody that's using drugs and they're going to put them in jail and they're not going to get any treatment and they're going to get worse while they're in jail. And then when they're released, they're going to be out there using drugs and committing crimes. No, no, there that's are not true. solutions and law enforcement. First of all, yes, we can have detox centers connected with the county jails, but we can also have a program where, and this is what I'm hearing in, in the testimony from what I call moderate folks who say, reestablish criminal penalties so that the law enforcement officer is empowered to say, all right, you've been using drugs here on the sidewalk and I'm either going to arrest you and take you to jail or I'm going to arrest you and take you to a treatment facility. Which would you like? Now, most people that are addicted right off the bat are not going to say, treat me. But if right, they're right. given that draconian choice, they're going to say, oh, I'd rather go to a treatment center. Then it has to be a treatment center, not an enabling center. Let's let's address the person's issue. And as they come clean, they're in a better position than to make decisions about the rest of their lives. That's I'm starting to give you too much discussion here, Rick, about the solution. What I'm getting at, I hear this testimony. On the other hand, the apologist for decriminalization, I had this uh, academic from back east of his testifying in a Zoom meeting, and I gave that academic this hypothetical. I said, and let's imagine it's three o'clock on a sunny Sunday afternoon in a Salem park near the river on the riverfront, and there's a playground here with kids playing. There's this guy who's fairly disheveled and he's just shot up into his forearm and he's obviously high from whatever he got shot up on. And a police officer is walking by and sees this. What are you going to do? Right. Now, right now, the officer can stand there and say, I'm giving you a ticket. And here is a citation for a $100 fine. And by the way, there's an 800 number here. If you call, they'll offer you treatment. And I asked this person, I said, so... Is that the kind of accountability that uh, will work? And they didn't know. They uh, thought that there must be something going on in Oregon where we could actually take some other action. And so we're getting this testimony from these experts who don't realize there's nothing the officer can do other than write up what's the equivalent of a parking ticket. So, so these guys were testifying for the supporters of Measure 110. Yes. <laughs> oh, no. And they That's did not awesome. have a full understanding of how bad it is. And I said, no, 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 wait a minute. That officer cannot do anything, do anything about the person who's there. And then we got into a further discussion about the symbolism of saying that uh, we're decriminalizing these drugs. And I brought up smoking. I said, you know, we understand that smoking is bad for your health. Now, we haven't made possession a criminal penalty. And I'm not saying we ever should. But we've sent a message with public buildings. You can't be smoking inside public buildings. We said we'll put warnings on cigarette packages. We won't let kids uh, buy cigarettes. So we're sending a message that we think these are bad for your health. Now, with drugs, we're sending no message about that. Right. <laughs> well, well, and Kevin... You know, I, all the research I've seen has shown this is it's just gotten worse. And fentanyl, Oregon's one of the top states where fentanyl is just rampant. And then you've got your governor 
who they I, I was reading where they were trying to get a special session to deal with this. And she says, oh, we'll wait and just do it in February, whenever the, the next session of the legislature is. It, it seems like everybody wants to give this another chance. I, not everybody, but there are the, the supporters keep thinking, well, just just let it go a little longer. Well, how many people have to die and more um, before we realize it's time to pull the plug? So, Rick, you are asking the right question. And the good news is uh, there's a bad situation. So I'm not saying the bad situation is good news. But from that, there has been so much public reaction that we are finally seeing that there is some movement. Our yeah. governor has now come out saying you need we need some form of accountability in the system. To me, accountability means, yes, you can be held accountable where you're not going to stay on that sidewalk shooting up heroin. Uh, we're going to take you somewhere. And by the way, there needs to be some continuous form of addressing the issue, not enabling it, but addressing it. So there is a revisiting of this. And what I'm finding now is there are still proponents of keeping decriminalization in place. And, and I've seen that going on. They are really apologists for a failed system. We, right. We've had a handful of people call that number and actually do something to follow up. And I'm talking about 1%. The, the vast majority of folks who are sitting there high they're not going to respond in any practical way to uh, an, an effort to get them into treatment. They well, need to be in an atmosphere where they have to be engaged in cleaning up and rethinking their lives. How much I know so many people, uh, Kevin, who are, who are former felons, uh, former addicts, um, and all of them will tell the story in their story. When you talk to them, they will say it took me three times going to jail uh, the fourth time. I figured it out and that, but, but it was getting, I mean, they had to get to rock bottom and it was, it was brought to by getting caught, getting caught, getting caught. And then they got better. Um, not any, I've never met anybody who just magically one day on the streets of Eugene or Portland, uh, shooting up fentanyl had a moment with God and said, okay, I'm done. You know, I mean, there's, that's why, that's why you have consequences for bad actions and, it feels like Oregon has just taken those consequences away and said, you know, and then how much, I guess my question would be, how much do you think the homeless problem, the, the crime problem, the drug problem, the murders in Portland? I mean, I grew up there. Portland was not the murder capital. I mean, your, your state is just a mess. And how much do you think this, this 110 has contributed to that? It's contributed significantly because the message to the rest of the nation, the 49 other states, is come to Oregon if you want to do drugs. You want to do cocaine? You want to do heroin? You want to do methamphetamine? You want to do fentanyl? Now, fentanyl, we do have some sanctions for that. We finally figured out that uh, we need to have something there. But the, the laws right now are full of holes, and folks who want to be in a situation where they can get away with all of this are coming here. Right. And well, Portland, our issues and our problems. Well, Oregon is almost, I mean, and I don't mean this jokingly, but like Club Med for any drug user or person that uh, doesn't want to work, doesn't have a job. I mean, it's, it's people go, how come it's, it's drawing so many people like that? Well, because if you go on the streets, when I used to live there, I'd go ask these people, how, why did you come to Oregon? Well, everybody knows you can get food, clothing, medical care. Um, and now we can use the drugs that we want to use. And, and there's no, they'll tell you that they're not hiding it. I mean, the only people who are hiding is the, the elected officials who have their head in the sand 
and are refusing to go down and talk to these people and find out what is your motivation. It's not, oh, poor me. It's we came here because we want to do this stuff. Well, in fact, when you said Club Med, I immediately thought, okay, maybe we should say we are Club Meth. (laughs) Unfortunately. So So what is your, your, you came out with this press release and I saw on there one thing uh, and I wanted to ask you about this because it said, you said there was the, the radical special interests. Who are the radical special interests supporting this still? Well, there are internationally and nationally, there are groups who think that uh, straight use of drugs, decriminalization of drugs is okay. That this is part of their, my I, I'll use the word anarchist, they'd say uh, extreme libertarian view of the world. But there are other consequences. Because when they say you're not harming anyone else, yes, you are. Yeah. Because you become part of the homeless community. You become part of the folks who are dependent on others for any kind of sustenance. You're the ones that are filling up our emergency departments. You're the ones who are preying on other honest, law-abiding citizens to steal from them. Why? Because you have to feed your habit. And because you have this habit, you're not working anymore. And the only way you can afford to feed it is to steal and to prey on others. So there are all these community consequences. We are victimizing our communities with those who are using these drugs. It is not an innocent activity with no ramifications to others. I read an article um, of a guy who used to live in Portland and he moved to Minnesota. He um, was, I think he got married and then he wanted to show his wife because they were thinking we should move to Oregon. And so he said, let's take a vacation. So they drove all the way out here, came to Portland. We're staying downtown in the nice side of Portland and parked in a parking garage, came out the next morning and their car had been broken into, but nothing was taken but their window was broken. And so that one of the parking, he went to the parking meter or the parking assistant, they go, Oh, that's your chance, man. It happens all the time. You might try that other parking garage over there. This seems to be safer. He parked it there. The next night, another person car banged, you know, bashed his windows, the rest of his windows in took everything, all their camping gear, everything they had in the car. And here these people were driving. They wrote a story about this driving back to Minnesota with plastic taped on their car windows. And he said, I will never go back to Portland, Oregon again. And that is a direct result of this stupidity to think that you can just let people commit crimes and and do drugs and everything's gonna be fine. And, And anybody that goes through Portland, they'll say to you, oh my God, the overpasses. I mean, Portland used to be the most beautiful city I would put it right up there with anything in the country. It was such a gorgeous rose city. Now it's like the rose has lost its bloom. And and the only way to get that back is to start taking back some of this territory, it seems to me. You are correct. And the good news is there is a movement to take back the territory. There is a movement uh, well-funded by prominent business people. Really? An initiative to go on the ballot. And we only get to do this in even numbered years every other year. Well, November, 2024, we have a general election and they are, they've got a petition and really? initiative to radically reform measure 110, reestablish criminal penalties, but also make sure that there are good treatment programs, but that they're also moderated and monitored by county government, not the state government, because the octopus of state government doesn't do a very good job of that. Have it done at the county level where we are truly talking about treatment programs. 
if some county such as Multnomah County, where Portland is located, wants to go in another direction, uh, I still think we need to limit it so that they are truly talking about addressing the issue, not enabling the issue. And uh, so this they have that moving. And we do have a short session of the legislature starting February 1 for six weeks. And this committee that uh, I am serving on has been holding hearings, the Joint Committee on Addiction and Community Safety. There is an opportunity for this committee to come up with a solution. Now, I've told the folks who are doing the initiative, we should be doing at least 90 percent of what the initiative will do or else they should keep moving that initiative because right. the voters will vote to dramatically change all of this. And yes, recriminalize. And, you know, it'll probably be criminalization with certain limitations. We've got to make sure that there are treatment programs available, that we are being legitimate about saying we want to clean up the problem. Now, as a parallel to this, we're going to be taking other steps. At least I'm going to be pushing for other steps to clean up the public safety system, to make sure that law enforcement is backed up at the state and local level. And I do think we're seeing that pushback now picking up. So we have an election year coming. It'll be interesting to see what happens during the elections. But in the meantime, we have what's called a short session. And for those six weeks, I'm inviting everyone to pay close attention to whether or not our legislative leadership and the governor come through with a solution to the Measure 110 problem, because Measure 110 has given us a failed system. Doing nothing, which some people would, oh, they're saying, oh, give us more time. No. You've had, how many deaths, have we, how many people have we lost already? And there is some, and besides people dying, there are people whose brains have been fried by these drugs, and we won't be able to recapture that capability. All we can do is, with some compassion, try to ameliorate it to deal with it. But um, there's some serious damage that's been done to our communities. But we also need to restore the belief of our voters, our citizens, that our government is there to respect hardworking, honest people who pay their taxes and want safe streets, safe neighborhoods. They want to be safe in their homes and they don't want to have people popping up, popping up on drugs on them endangering their kids and communities. I'm sorry, I'm getting a little worked okay. up about this, but it's unacceptable. It's ridiculous. We have to fix so, it. So Kevin, here's a different issue. Well, it's kind of, it's, it's in the same realm. How do Oregon, Oregon, Oregon seems to be targeted by crazy initiative people. Like they almost use Oregon as a state to test and say, hey, if we can get Oregon to pass this, we can get this thing to move around the country. I think Colorado is another one that gets a lot of that stuff. Um, because, you know, Oregon was known for, in the beginning, doing really good um, things that were out of the box, like opening the beaches so that people like me that have property on the oceanfront can't keep people from walking on the beach. Um, that's a great thing. The bottle bill to, 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 you know, recycle bottles and stuff, which we don't do here in Montana. It's really weird for me because I've done it my whole life in Oregon. So there's some things that we did, but then we get so ridiculous about pumping our own gas. And then they come in with this kind of stuff where let's test Oregon. Do Oregon voters and people in Oregon just need to be a little more careful about understanding what it is that they're voting on or, you know? Well, there's two parts to this. First of all, I'm the author of Measure 11, which the voters passed, which establishes mandatory minimum prison sentences for violent crimes 
no ifs, ands, or buts, no parole, no early release. You are subject to a mandatory minimum prison sentence, and that remains in effect. The voters voted for it. There was an effort to repeal it. It passed with 66% of the vote. Six years later, opponents tried to repeal it. 74% of the voters said, (laughs) no, this is working. And by the way, for the first 10 years it was in effect, we led the nation in the rate of reduction of violent crime because we actually took these folks off the streets and put them behind bars. So the initiative process can work. And yes, Measure 11 cost us some money. We had to actually incarcerate people and spend money, which also saved our citizens money because they weren't being preyed upon by violent criminals. So it can work. Our problem is the ballot title process the attorney general is responsible for writing what's called the ballot title because a lot of these measures are so long, you have to have a shorthand version that shows up on the ballot. And that can be a lopsided process. The ballot title for Measure 110, in my opinion, was written to favor passage because it uh-huh. emphasized, oh, marijuana tax dollars for rehabilitation. It did not emphasize enough as far as I'm concerned. Oh, by the way, we're decriminalizing all these street drugs. Right. In the detail and the summary of the ballot title, you could see that, but you had to look for it. A ballot title that truly tells voters what is happening is important. And I'm going to be pushing for a reform of that because it can mislead the voters. And I will say this. We have a very nice person who is attorney general. She is retiring. She is very liberal. And I believe that the ballot title process has been influenced by that liberal mentality. I think the ballot titles ought to be written by the bipartisan legislative council. Thank you. This is citizen legislation. Have a legislative council who know they have to answer to Democrats and Republicans. They're not independently elected. They don't have a boss who's independently elected. And write the ballot titles so it's a fair uh, piece So when the voters see this on the ballot, they'll know what they're really voting on. That is such a great idea, Kevin, because um, how many I can just count. I remember as a news guy, how many ballot measures would come out and would be like, oh, my God, you guys. I knew because we were covering it, but the general public had no idea. And 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 they'd say, well, lawmakers wouldn't do that. I go, no, they don't. They don't want you to understand this. They want you to pass it. And then when you have somebody like the attorney general now, very partisan and and and. You can't have that, like you can't have the Secretary of State doing that kind of stuff. I mean, because that's also a partisan position. So I love that idea of getting somebody else, a group of people who have to be accountable to one another and the public. Uh, so then if, they, if, if Measure 10 came back, you go to back to the committee and you say, what the hell were you thinking? Um, well, and that's where I do think, uh, and legislative council, again, are accountable to Republicans and Democrats because they... Right. Work for the legislature, which has both groups involved. So that is a a process change I would like to see. Also, we add all kinds of we do have a voters pamphlet, but we have added so much stuff. (laughs) It's a voters pamphlet that it's it's a maze. It doesn't say here's what the measure is and then describe it. There's all kinds of other things that are written up and put into the voters pamphlet. So it's you have to get back to the ballot title, which is actually on the ballot. I did have a bill, which I'm going to return to at some point, uh, a proposal that if a, if a measure is 100 words or le- or fewer, you just put the text on the ballot and say, do you vote yes or no on that? Yeah. Let them read what it actually says, because a lot of these are 500 words or whatever. But that would encourage people to present a short message and let the voters actually see this is what I'm voting on. It's on the ballot. 
I'll still bring and, up that idea. Another one you should bring up, Kevin. Long. Another one you should bring up. When I was running for Secretary of State, I was I was so infuriated with the voters' pamphlet. It's like a it's just like a tabloid because people what what the voters don't understand. A lot of voters is a lot of that stuff. Most of it is paid propaganda to get you to vote yes or no for the issue. So put the ballot in there and and don't let people pay for the voters' pamphlet with all their. Largan and jargon and all that because people start reading it and they just read what they want to see and and that then they end up voting for things that aren't exactly good for the state of Oregon. You've made a good point. Arguments for and against that are presented and you just pay your pay the price and you get to print the argument and it's a lot cheaper than the cost of printing the document. Right. Excuse and me. it comes from the state. So people think, well, this has to be true because the state printed this thing in. No, it's just like any other mag that's paying for the magazine. Take out the arguments for and against that people pay for. Get down to presenting them with the measure itself. And, um, and you know, simplicity here is the key to, I think, a better informed electorate. And then you want to have your debate, have it outside, have right. it outside and let people argue the case. So, so we do yeah. need to reform that process. Well, I am back in action. This is a, I, mean, I love this. On 22 years and I will be uh, pressing for common sense solutions. And on the measure 110 side, I'll be pressing for our committee in the short session to come up with a common sense solution. And if they don't, the escape clause has been written. It's there. It's a ballot measure that will dramatically reform Measure 110. It will still leave a sliver, a piece of it. The marijuana tax dollars ought to go to re drug re rehabilitation. Okay, but it also changes how that is done so it's more effectively used. Um, and I'm not here to push for that as the alternative right now. I am, I am letting my fellow legislators know, hey, guys, either we fix it or the people are going to fix it in November. Passing your seatbelts. <laughs> So last thing I'll ask you, Kevin, because I know you've been, you know, he ran for governor, you've been involved in politics. You say 22 years, but most of us who were in the news or at least understood politics or Salem, you were never out of the picture for very long. Oh, no. Um, I mean, that 22 I've been years. my law firm in Salem for 38 years. Yeah. Um, after I, I left the legislature and ran for governor and I lost. I always like to remind people it was by 3% of the vote. There was a libertarian on the ballot who took 5%. And if Portland didn't exist, I, I won by 55,000 votes, but I lost Portland by 88,000 votes. So I know that dynamic. After that, I've served as chairman of the Oregon Republican Party. I've served as chairman of the Marion County Republicans. I've been working to support candidates. And my last successful ballot measure was Measure 73 in 2010 now 13 years ago, on your third conviction for drunken driving, and that's after one diversion for treatment. If you, know, if you go through diversion, you don't get a conviction. Third conviction, 90 days, mandatory minimum jail sentence. No ifs, ands, or buts. That's still on the books. And um, the voters voted for it in 90 that long. Drunken driving. We needed to get drivers off the road and with a 90 day time in jail, it's a time to reevaluate. Maybe you ought to be looking through the 12 steps because um, it, it, the consequences are significant. Before that, they kept getting probation. Uh, anyway, it's still on the books. I still see it in effect. So some of these citizen initiatives things can make a difference. So let me ask you the last thing. What is your hope as a, as a guy who's been involved in this all this time? Um, Oregon's been on some rough roads for the last couple of years. What, what is your hope for 2024? 
I think we're going to see the swinging of the pendulum. I think that we're going to see that there is some shift in the legislative composition. Uh, I'd like to see my fellow Republicans take a majority in the House and Senate. It's tough looking at the demographics, but I'm also seeing, and this is where there's some hope, some moderate Democrats getting into more of a position of power within the Democratic Party. I won't say within the party, within the legislature. And Governor Tina Kotek, uh, I think, has been much more approachable in terms of the issues I'm concerned about. We've been able to develop a conversation. We have different philosophies, but I see her as much more approachable Good. than her predecessor. So I, I think that we're beginning to see uh, the beginnings of a sea change here in the Oregon political scene. Now, I hope I'm not a Pollyanna. I guarantee you there will be some shift. The question is how much. All right. Representative Kevin Mannix, thank you so much for your time. I know you're a busy man and um, glad to see you back in your seat doing your thing. Glad to be here. Thank you very much. I wish you a wonderful Christmas. All right. You too, Kevin. See you later. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. And again, we cannot do these shows without our sponsors. And uh, we have a new video out with uh, Montana Oral Surgeons. And I thought this was really good. I just had to go to the doctor. I won't tell you the details of what I had to have done, but it was very minor. And I get my bill because I'm thinking, how much could that be? Um, and it was $900. I didn't know that going in. Um, at Montana Oral Surgeons and Implant Center, you will know when you go in what it's going to cost you. Watch. In that position where you go to the doctor's office and you need something done that is life-changing for you and you have no idea what it's going to cost and you don't get a bill till afterwards and it's always shocking and you had no idea what it was going to cost you. We definitely don't want to do that to our patients here. We want to give them the information upfront ahead of time so that they are aware of what the estimate that their insurance is going to be paying and the estimate that they're going to be paying out of pocket is so that there's no surprises. Um, obviously things can change, especially with surgery. It doesn't happen often, but when we're in there, things can come up that can change that out of pocket. We do sedate our patients, so we don't collect um, any additional funds or anything after the surgery. That's why it's so important for us to have that estimated out of pocket beforehand because we don't want to have to send you a bill in the mail like a lot of other places do. Um, oral surgery is pretty anxiety inducing for the majority of people. Um, so to be able to check that off their list of one more thing that they don't have to worry about really does help calm their nerves and just makes the whole process seem that much easier. Um, I think it's important to people because everybody wants to be able to plan for what they have going on in their life and their financial decisions and not have something come completely out of the blue that they might not be able to afford. So, uh, Montanans, uh, I hope that you enjoyed watching that and it comes as a warning uh, that Things can, this is what can happen when you get the wrong leadership and too much of one party involved. Um, Oregonians, I have great hope for you. Uh, it sounds like uh, people are starting to get involved, um, but the bottom line is you got angry because the, the measure 110 didn't work and it ruined your state. So now it's time to put things back together. And with people like Kevin and others in charge, uh, maybe that can happen, but it's going to take your involvement as well. 
And we all need to be smarter when we're looking at initiative petitions. When something sounds too good, remember what they say, it probably is. Uh, it's probably not exactly what you're voting on. And there's, a, I could give you a lot of examples of that in Oregon. Um, okay, it's Thursday. Uh, thank, enjoy uh, your weekend. And we'll be back. We're doing now, just so everybody knows, we're doing TikTok shows uh, live on Mondays and Wednesdays at 5 o'clock mm -hmm. Montana time. That would be 4 o'clock Oregon time. Um, and they're a ball. We get 18,000 people from all over the world on there. And we're talking about a lot of really cool stuff. But we've also started a page over on Discord, uh, discord.com. Just go on there and look up Rick Dancer Community Voices. This is a place where nothing, no one can shut us down. We can have the conversations we want to have, no censorship, nobody checking over us, nobody watching over our shoulders. I'd love you to come over there. We're going to start doing a lot of stuff over there as well. Uh, because I'm getting tired. Even just today, I put out a video talking about what's going on in uh, Israel and uh, TikTok took the sound off of it. Uh, yeah, they removed the sound because they said it didn't go with their community values. Apparently, um, not hating Jewish people is not a, a community value for uh, TikTok. So um, anyway, that's what we got to get away from. So go to discord, D-I-S-C-O-R-D.com. Look up Rick Dancer Community. Uh, it's also on my Facebook page. There's a link and stuff like that as well. All right. Have a great weekend. Uh, we'll talk to you guys uh, next week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Got a whole lineup of shows for you. You'll love it.